You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. All of these things have to be working together in concert for the car to be operating the way that it needs to be operating. And so now with the church giving themselves to their calling and and using the gifts of that, we're like a fine-tuned machine, if you will, if I can use that illustration. Maybe that's even a better illustration. And we're chugging along and we're making great strides going forward, right? And we're doing everything that God wants us to do. You need to pray. God, show me what my gift is and then let me hone that Yes. Pastor Mike uses the analogy of a car engine to share the point that each church member has a specific role to play. Without pistons, a crankshaft, or a timing belt, the car would not run. Similarly, a church body needs a teacher, someone to balance the books, ushers, and child care workers. When a part or person is missing, nothing runs as it should. After today's message, ask yourself if you are serving where the Lord desires you to be, or is the engine failing to run due to your absence? Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Romans chapter 4 as he continues his message, The Mystery Revealed. In the book of Romans, in chapter 4, in verse 13, concerning Abraham, referring to God's promise that he should be heir of the world. He says, for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed. We know who Abraham is, the father of the faith. His seed would be who? Would be Israel, right? But notice, he says, it would be For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed or through the law, but rather through the righteousness of faith. So this is sort of all-conclusive, isn't it? So he's thinking about the Gentiles as well. So I just wanted to draw your attention to that, but there are other cross-references that I want to share with you as well. For example, in the book of Galatians, in chapter 3, in verse 29, Uh, Paul extends this to all believers. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 29. If you are Christ's, so if you've invited Christ to come and be the Lord and Savior of your life, you're born again of the Spirit of God, you've been converted, then you are Abraham's seed. Do you see the link there? And then the result of that is an heirs according to the promise. Okay, let me give you another cross-reference. In the book of Titus, In chapter 3, in verse 7, Paul speaks of a future inheritance. Titus chapter 3, in verse 7. 
that having been justified by his grace, and that's exactly what you have been, you've been justified by grace through the operation of faith, that having been justified by his grace, we should become, there's that word, heir according to the hope of eternal life. And then one last cross-reference back in the book of Romans, in chapter 8 and verse 17, the first part of verse 17, and if children, that's also what you've become now, right? You no longer have to be Jew to be considered a child of God, right? We've been grafted in, we've become children of God. We can cry out, Abba, Father. And if children and heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs together with Christ. So these uses of the words embrace all that a person receives or will receive in their experience of salvation. It is the whole of God's blessing, possessed jointly by all believers in and with Christ. Okay, so what conclusion must we come to? Well, simply, there's no inner circle. There's no one closer to God than another person, right? There's no inner circle, or for that matter, there's no outer circle of the saved. The Jews are not first-rate Christians, and the Gentiles aren't second-rate Christians, or vice versa. All who are in Christ inherit all of God's blessings, and they inherit jointly. They hold it together in the one body of Christ. Well, then, that brings us to our second phrase in verse 6, and that is, members together of one body. Now, let's break this down for you. Back in chapter 1, in verses 22 and 23, let's read that once again. And he put all things under his feet, chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. Now, Paul comes back to this theme again in chapter 4. There is one body, and that's the way that we need to relate to one another. That's the way that we need to think about the church as being one body. And then he goes on to describe how God has built us all in one single body. Let's briefly take a look at it. Later on, when we move into chapter 4, we'll get, go into it in greater detail and length, and we'll make some personal, relevant applications for that text of Scripture. So I just want to sort of like touch on it, but, but I do want to make a couple of points here. But in chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, let's jump ahead a little bit, and we'll preview it. Let me read it for you. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. And what we have here is the list of ministry gifts. Even as there are certain gifts of the Spirit, I want you to know that there are also ministry gifts, okay? And they are uh, named here for us in this text of Scripture. Verse 11, And he himself, that is God himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, and I would suggest that pastors and teachers are one and the same. Because if the truth of the matter is you really can't be a pastor unless you're a teacher. You have to have, you know, have the capacity to be able to teach the word, to be a pastor, right? I don't think that those are separate gifts. Like, for example, there are some women who have the gift of teaching and are unbelievable teachers, right? But they're not called to be pastors of the church, right? 
In fact, I, they're actually forbidden to be pastors, you know, of the church for several different reasons, but I don't want to go there right now, okay? But anyway, so he gave us these different ministry gifts. Why? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, this is how this, this body comes into existence. This is how God puts this whole thing together, you see. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. So, when people are exercising these gifts, we're all going to benefit from them. And we'll all go on to maturity, right? And we're not going to be you know, blown around by every wind of doctrine that comes roaring through the church that creates havoc within the church. And so often it does. That if the people aren't grounded in the teaching in the word of God. So how valuable is it that we have teachers of the word within the church to instruct us so that when those winds of doctrines you know, blow through the church, we're not carried away by them, you see. That they don't have devastating effects upon us. This is so very, very important. These are precious ministry gifts that God has given us. We are to hold them in high esteem. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Isn't it interesting that he refers to those people that are carried away by some new fancy teaching? that blow through the church, pretty regularly, by the way, as what? As children, as immature, right? And that's the hook that gets people to be drawn in. You know, someone comes along and says, you know what, God has revealed this, this new thing to me. Or, or Pastor Mike, you know, I heard this, this new teaching, this, this fellow I've been listening to on the radio. He just came on the radio, and he shared this new slant, a new take on this particular doctrine. And, you know, it's been revealed to him and to him alone to you know, to pass along to this generation and, and baloney, you know, baloney. But that's the hook, right? You're going to receive enlightenment. You're going to receive a teaching that's never been revealed to anyone else except you. Oh, man, how appealing, right? That's the hook that draws people in. But the truth of the matter is you're not mature for having embraced that new teaching or doctrine. The truth of the matter is you're a foolish child, and you don't even know any better, you see. Because the truth of the matter is there's no new revelation under the sun. Everything that we need to know has been recorded and preserved for us right here in the Bible. And if it's not in the Bible, then we thoroughly reject it. That's all, right? And that's the way that we need to approach these new teachings and doctrines and winds of of doctrine. And so anyway, uh, let's go on. That we should no longer be children, verse 14, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful uh, plottings, right? In verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, for whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by which every part does its share. Everyone has a position, everyone has a place, everyone has a calling, everyone has a ministry, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. How important is it that we discover what our gifts are and then begin to put them into practice and use for the edifying or the building up of the body, right? You have certain gifts that I don't have, and I have certain gifts that you don't have. You know, it it would like, you know, I always use the illustration of an engine, an automobile engine, you know, for the car to function as the car needs to function, even to go forward, 
you know, every part of the engine needs to be working in concert together with each other part, right? The pistons are moving and chugging. I don't know a lot about cars, but you understand the illustration, right? Name some of the parts of the engine. Who's a, an engine head here? The cam, the engine, the pistons, the valves, the, the transmission. Thank you, Pastor Jose. The brakes, okay? All of these things have to be working together in concert for the car to be operating the way that it needs to be operating. And so now with the church giving themselves to their calling and, and using the gifts of that, we're like a fine-tuned machine, if you will, if I can use that illustration. Maybe that's even a better illustration. And we're chugging along and we're making great strides going forward, right? And we're doing everything that God wants us to do. You need to pray. God, show me what my gift is and then let me hone that gift, you know? There might be a season for you to kind of hone your gift, you know, to, to add to it, to, to bring it along, if you will, to bring it to maturity and, and fruition. And so anyway, this is the way that the body operates. So Paul goes through this text of Scripture And again, uh, he goes on to describe how God has built us all into one single body, verses 11 through 16. So then, this image speaks of a mystical union possessed by God's people in the church. But there's something else here that I want to draw your attention to, and I've already kind of alluded to it. But it also suggests, verses 11 through 16, that this is something into which the people of God must grow and toward which they must strive. It just doesn't happen, you know, you sitting by idly and doing nothing and not using your gift, right? This is something that we must grow into and towards which we must strive to that end, you see. That is the unity between Jew and Gentile, bond and free, male and female, it must be increasingly worked for and realized in this life. And thus we need to see one another the way that God sees them. You know, look around the room. And, and that's, that needs to be our take on, on every person that is a member or considers themselves a member of Harvest Christian Fellowship. We need to see that individual the way that God sees them, as precious, possessing that gift that we need to be exercised right here in the body. And thus, all of the prejudices that we might have, right? You know, you know, come on, man. I mean, you know, we come into the body of Christ with all sorts of prejudices. Listen, I was raised in that kind of an environment. I was raised Italian. And I grew up in a neighborhood of all Italians in Jersey. And uh, the Italians didn't like the Irish. And the Irish didn't like the Italians. And uh, blacks didn't like the whites, and the whites didn't like the blacks. And we, had, we were fighting all of the time. And then I came and gave my life to Christ. You know, that's, when you come into the body of Christ, you come in with all kinds of excess baggage along with you. And some of us are still prejudiced. We need to get rid of that prejudice. We need to rid ourselves of those things. You, you just never know, you know. I, I'm so glad that God called us to the ministry here in New York City, because it's such a diverse group of people. I mean, all you got to do is look around. I mean, it's crazy, right? And we're not all white toast, you know, kind of a thing. <laughs> My wife always thanks God, you know, that we weren't called to a ministry like in New Jersey or something like that, where everybody's white in one area or whatever. The diversity of it. In fact, all you got to do is look at my family, and you'll understand how diverse we are, right? 
But I love that. I love that. I love that about this particular body, this church. But nevertheless, you know, this is something that we have to deal with. You know, when we come into the body of Christ, we're not totally sanctified, are we? There are things that God needs to still work out in our lives and weed us of. And, and prejudice sometimes, you know, happens to be one of those things. But anyway, this is the way that we need to relate to one another. We need to see one another the way that God sees them, as being precious. All prejudice must be left behind. We need to understand that. We need to work towards that end. Okay, so how then can this happen? It just doesn't happen by itself. Well, only as we grow in the love and the knowledge of the one who has brought us together. You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite writers, he wrote a commentary on the book of Ephesians, says in his discussion of the book of Ephesians in chapter 3, he says, we are all equally sinners. We are all equally helpless. So, you know, the idea here is this is the way that we ought to view one another, perceive one another. In other words, we're all in the same boat. We have all come to one and the same Savior. We have the same salvation. We have the same Holy Spirit. We have the same Father. We even have the same trials. And finally, we are all marching and going towards to the same eternal home. It is a knowledge and appreciation of these things that will help draw us together. So these are the things that we have in common. These are the things that we need to be mindful of. Well, that brings us to our last phrase, the last component of verse 6, and that is, we are also sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Do you see that there? Write that down. Sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. And listen, the Bible has so many wonderful promises, doesn't it? From the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, just chuck full of wonderful promises for God's kids, right? We're so blessed. We're so rich. Think about that, right? But anyway, the Bible has many wonderful promises for those who trust God and have come to him through faith in the work of Jesus Christ. But that word promise there in verse 6, let's go back to that text. The word promise in this phrase is singular. Yes, there are many promises recorded throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, but here in verse 6, the word promise in this phrase is singular. If you go back to the original Greek manuscripts, that word promise is singular. And thus, for that reason, must refer to the promise of redemption made to Adam and Eve, repeated to Abraham, and which forms the burden of all of the Old Testament prophecies. Now, as a cross-reference for this, let's go to Galatians chapter 3. It says that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus you know, all that God had promised Abraham, when, when God had got a hold of Abraham in his father's house in the land of Ur, the Chaldeans, and all of the rich promises that he made, that through his seed all of the nations of the earth would be blessed, your, you know, your seed would be as great as the number of the sands in the sea, and I will bless you, and the, uh, those who bless you, I will curse those who curse you. You know, all of what God had promised Abraham, all of those blessings are yours that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. 
The next text is found in that same chapter 3 in verse 19. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Then verse 22. But the scripture has confined that all are under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And then the last verse in 29, verse 29 of that same chapter. And if you are Christ's, and I hope you are, then you are Abraham's seed. You don't have to be a Jew. And heirs according to the promise. Okay, so to have all of what I've just suggested, all of what we've just read, to have this, as Paul says, the people of God do, is to have a share in the greatest of all possible human blessings. To share it with others from a great variety of races and people and cultures is to participate in the mystery which was revealed to Paul and declared by him. This mystery is in Christ Jesus and is made known through the preaching of the gospel. And isn't that exactly what we're doing? It is his messengers, guys like myself and guys like you, not only for the pastor alone, who are sent to draw people together. How? By simply calling them to Christ. And listen, let me tell you something. You know, you read this, and there's a sense on Paul's part that Paul never got over the wonder of this great doctrine of the church. I think he's amazed by it. I think he's blown away by it, right? And not only knowing this doctrine, but that he was the one who was basically commissioned to make it known to the entire world. He was amazed. He was grateful. And I think we as well should be equally amazed and equally grateful. And yes, we're not called to be apostles. I don't even know if there is such a thing as a modern-day apostle. The word apostle just means the sent out one. I guess in that sense, we're all sent out. But definitely, back in the first century, the apostle had a completely different ministry than those who just simply sent out today. So, okay, we're not apostles, as Paul was, but listen. And we have not received fresh revelation, right? I mean, the revelations that we receive today have been revealed to us through the teaching of the Word of God. But the revelation is ours no less than it was Paul's. And our responsibility to proclaim it is the same as Paul's. Listen, gang, as we move into this next new year in 2020, I think we should all be more than ever busy sharing this truth and broadcasting this mystery. Oh, let us speak to others often of this great mystery revealed in and through Jesus Christ. In my Father's house There's a place for me In my Father's house Where I long Thanks for tuning in to today's edition of In My Father's House as we study the book of Ephesians with Pastor Mike. It's no secret that people can sometimes be messy. So when you put all kinds of people into a church building, there's bound to be problems. 
For this reason, the Apostle Paul wrote to the people of Ephesus to remind them to remain unified in Jesus. When Jesus remains at the center of your relationships, the body of Christ is so much sweeter. Take Paul's writings to heart and seek to live in unity with those around you. If you'd like to explore more messages from Pastor Mike or to hear today's message again, just visit harvestnyc.org or find the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified every time we post a new edition of the show. If you're in Midtown Manhattan, we'd love for you to come visit us at Harvest Christian Fellowship. Find directions, service times, and more information on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. And if you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. With that, we've come to the end of our time with you today. We're so glad you were able to spend this past half hour with us. Join us again for more from this verse-by-verse study in the book of Ephesians next time, right here on In My Father's House. Trouble. I remember what you said. You returned.